Friends, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your friend. I'm your host. And uh, this is episode number 215. And uh, today we're sitting down with a brand new guest. His name is Mark Madison. And he is an independent scholar who is working to make what many of us would define as the Gnostic texts. We might want to call them the extra biblical texts, the non-canonical texts, the books of the Bible, the books that didn't make it into the Bible. <laughs> like we talked to Hal last week about uh, the 10 that he added to the New New Testament. Uh, so books that didn't make it into the Bible that were important to Christians uh, in years gone by. So Gospel of Mary, Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Truth, all these different uh, books. Mark is working to make this stuff accessible to the everyday person. And his work is magnificent. Um, I came across it on Amazon because I was in my most recent obsession with the Gospel of Mary. And so I was looking for, I did a blog series on the Gospel of Mary a while ago. So I was looking for like every single thing I could possibly get my hands on about the Gospel of Mary. And I was just doing Google searches, Amazon searches, and I came across Mark and I, I, I ordered his book, and I thought it was going to be like this big book. And it's this very small book with a translation of, Go- of the Gospel of Mary, uh, some commentary on the Gospel of Mary, and also some scholarly stuff in there as well. And I was like, this is very interesting. Who is this man? And so I went to Google, and I looked him up. I was like, wow, this stuff, this is really interesting what he's doing. I've got to get him on the show. So I emailed him. And he emailed me back in like five minutes, very quickly emailed me back and said, yeah, I'd love to come on your show. And uh, so we had, a, we had a talk. We had to talk about his work. We talked a bit about the Gospel of Mary. And we have more things to talk about. So he'll be coming back on the show. I have to let you know that in the, in the beginning of the episode, we had a little audio situation. Uh, we had a, a couple things in the episode where we had some uh, audio mishaps. And so I had to cut and splice and do some audio engineering. <laughs> I don't know if that's the word, if that's the phrase, but I had to do some some handiwork uh, with the editing software to try to make things uh, blend nicely. So the conversation starts very abruptly because I had to cut off like a, a couple minutes and a couple times in the episode as well. I had to cut some things around. So I think the conversation flows. I listened to it a bunch of times. It makes sense to me. Hope it makes sense to you, but I think you're really going to appreciate Mark and his work. Uh, do go look him up. I'll put all of his links in the show notes, his books as well on Amazon. And uh, you you will you will go and you will add some things to your library, some good things to your library. Also in the show notes, my book, Rethinking Everything, Patreon, Buy Me a Coffee, places to go to support the show, The Heretic Shop, if you want to buy a t-shirt, a hoodie, uh, some heretical gear, it is there in The Heretic Shop. I put that in the show notes as well. And uh, special music today and every day is my friend Young Citizen, who is a hip-hop artist uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. We work together at Apple. He's a wonderful human being, wonderful soul, doing incredible things in the world. And so I'm using his music on this show all year uh, and beyond. We'll see, how we see, we'll see how many episodes we go with it. But I told him I want to commit to using his music only in 2022. And that's what we've been doing because he's helped me out a lot. He's encouraged me. And I want to get his music out there any way that I can. So head over to Apple Music or head over to Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to your music. 
download his stuff and show him some love. So all that to say, my friends, episode 215 with Mark Madison. Enjoy. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah. Just mind don't mind, don't play by the rules. I'm gonna make sure that I play my cards right. Intuition gave me signs that everything is all right. Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls, I'm moving in, it's getting tight, getting tight. The shuffle getting real. real, I hope it lives on something good I'm all in for the kill, kill sometimes kill, it's getting kind of scary I'm here for the thrill, decisions on top of decisions Like I chose a pill, the bottle getting kind of empty Temptations made us presence in the air, it's kind of tempting Shortcuts after question, but it got on my attention Uh-oh, and I forgot, but did I mention Looks like I won the game, made my decision I listen Alright, so I'd like to start off with learning a little bit about, about you Because to be honest, I'm new to your work um, I came across you on Amazon because I was searching for uh, books on the Gospel of Mary And uh, all of a sudden, all of your books popped up about Mary And some other our early Christian texts as well and uh, from there, I went to, to Google you because like I had never heard of this guy before. So I found uh, Luminescence, your, your website, which you can share with us more about. But uh, maybe start us off by talking to us about your story a little bit. You know, who are you and what do you do and how did you get to doing what you're doing today? Sure. Well, I uh, currently am retired and uh, focused on my book business and uh, sales uh, at this point in life. But uh, this journey in working on these extra canonical gospels really goes back a few years back between 2009 and 2014 i was working with some feminist scholars on a divine feminine version of the new testament mm -hmm. a new translation and during that time i was particularly interested in feminist philosophy theology still am mm -hmm. but uh, i was looking at books on Amazon, I came across a book by Cynthia Burchalt called The Wisdom of Jesus. Yeah. And this very much, it sounded like a good book to check out. So I, I did. I, I got her book and I began to read it. And uh, I was immediately taken by her approach to the Gospel of Thomas, which, uh, which uh, very much reaffirmed my own intuition about how to approach the Gospel of Thomas. But I'd never seen anyone else articulated so clearly before. So I was intrigued. So I continued to read her book. And I, I should say, uh, also by way of background, that although I had known all my life, you know, people who are mystics and have respected them, you know, up until that point in my life, I did not have a mystical bone in my body. You know, <laughs> I, mysticism is just not something that as part of my frame of reference, I was trained as a biblical scholar in Bible mm -hmm. college and very much worked along those lines. But as I was reading through this book, at about that time, I was taking a walk on the campus of the corporation that I worked for. And I, I had a spiritual experience. I had a vision of God. I, uh, it was as if the heavens had rolled back and a funnel had been dropped into my brain and I experienced, if you will, a, a, a download, you know, right. just a massive download and an understanding of how everything fit together. It was a unitive experience. Uh, of course, it wasn't uh, a lasting experience. So those kinds of 
experiences never are. But from that point on, I, I understood mysticism from the inside out mm. and began to explore certain uh, spiritual disciplines like centering prayer, like Lectio Divina, mm. those sorts of things. I continued reading through Bourgeois' book, and I, uh, I was very impressed by what she had to say, but I felt that some of her, some of the academic historical critical work that she was presenting, let's say was, was that, that's complete than it could have been. You know, I, I did what I have always done. I particularly interested in a, to in a topic like biblical theology or feminism. I, I, I scoured her footnotes and the endnotes and ran through all her sources. And I started off basically trying to verify the, the things that she was saying, you know, especially the historical claims. And again, that's where I found that in some areas, I, I felt that she was on, on good ground. In other areas, I felt, well, I think maybe there needs to be a little more of, a, of an academic basis for, for some of this. And I, so I began, uh, I began doing further research. That led me right to the Gospel of Mary. Also, at that time, a friend of mine, had, uh, Scott Miller, had uh, arranged for some members of the Jesus Seminar to come and speak at the church that he was working at at the time. And one of the speakers spoke on the Gospel of Mary, and I was particularly taken by, or spoke about Mary Magdalene, I should say, and I was particularly taken by it. And Karen King's book on uh, Mary Magdalene was uh, was on the book table. I purchased it, and I was very taken with what Karen King had written. She did a fabulous job with that book and really helped to broaden my appreciation for what this text really had to say. You know, I had known about this text for years, but I had thought about the central portion of the narrative as simply another mythical you know, uh, life after death tale and not of particular interest. But when I read her book and considered all the different ways that we can interact with this narrative, I, I took a lot more interest in it. So at this time, I think it's fair to say that I, I felt as if this engagement with the Gospel of Mary, for me, it seemed like the, the perfect blend of concerns uh, overlapping between feminist theology and Christian mysticism. And that's very much how the book reads to me. I was, I was interested in writing about the book but I looked around and realized that there were no public domain translations available. So I set out to create my own translation and to uh, dedicate it to the public domain so that others in the future, like me, who had an interest in exploring this and writing about it or commenting on it, would have access to a public domain translation. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the earlier books I read was another one that I see you've read by, uh, by Leloup on the uh, Gospel of Mary. Uh, that was one of the first ones I had read after uh, Cynthia Bergeralt's book. And I noticed that he had uh, transcripts or, or copies of pages from transcripts of the Coptic of the Gospel of Mary. So I photocopied those and blew them up, took a pencil, and began learning Coptic. Yeah. I connected with Michael Grandin, who created the uh, Coptic English interlinear of the Gospel of Thomas. And I picked his brain, asked him how he created his interlinear, both the mechanics of it and other questions. He pointed me to uh, Lambden's uh, Coptic grammar. Uh, so I, I began studying through that. And as I studied Coptic, I already had some 
some Greek background, a little bit of Hebrew, I knew a little bit about Egyptian, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't really know Coptic. So with his other backgrounds, I, I, I began working through Lambden's grammar and some other books as well. Uh, and I was writing the English uh, counterparts to the Coptic words underneath them in the you know, pages I had photocopied. And over time, I basically essentially built my own manual interlinear and out of that uh, developed this public domain translation. That turned out to be the beginning of this long stretch of having translated many uh, extra canonical gospels. And so far I've published eight books on the extra canonical gospels and placed the public domain translations out on my website, gospels.net. A word that you used a few times is mystic and mysticism. And I'm curious, I I have a general idea of what this term refers to, but uh, maybe for our listeners, you could talk a little bit more about what that means, because I think it feels like it's a word that carries some baggage because everybody I seem to talk to will define that word slightly differently. So when you talk about uh, kind of entering in this world of mysticism, what exactly does that look like for you? Well, I'm glad you added that last part on it. What is it, what it looks like for me, mm-hmm. because as you've intimated, it looks different for different people. And I'm not sure that I've encountered what I can, would consider a definitive you know, uh, or explicit definition of exactly what mysticism is. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that it's something you can define. It's something you can describe. Yeah. It's something it's, and uh, again, it means different things for different people. Uh, for me, it's a way of describing the interior spiritual journey and connection and, and, and seeking for the divine. Mm. Uh, that, that's, a, I think, a broad way to put it, but uh, I wouldn't want to be more specific than that. Yeah. I have a friend. Uh, do you Have you ever come across Alexander Shia's work? I have not. Yeah. So he's somebody who has kind of helped me enter that world a little bit. And the way I've come to see it is kind of being a, a person or approaching life with a mindset of, of non-dualism, like as opposed to oh, yes. either or, or this and that, or there's right and there's wrong, there's good, there's bad, light, darkness, everything is one. Everything is, everything has a meaning to play in, in the puzzle as opposed to casting certain things out and stuff like that. So that's how I've come to understand it. Well, and uh, th- that exactly, I think, uh, aligns with my experience reading through the works of Cynthia Bourgeois as well. Uh, her writings, very impressed by the spiritual teachings. She's, a, she's a, just a, a remarkable spiritual teacher. And uh, uh, just I, I can't say enough good things about her books. Yeah, I've read a couple of them, but I need to, uh, I need to dabble <laughs> a little bit more in, in her work. Now, you mentioned you talk about these, uh, these Gospels. You, you call them extra canonical Gospels. I noticed you haven't used the word Gnostic yet. And uh, I know in our email exchange, we had mentioned a little bit about the uh, maybe some of the baggage, so to speak, that comes along with that term and how it might not be the most useful term uh, to use when identifying texts like the Gospel of Mary or gospel of Judas or whatever. So maybe talk a little bit about, about that. Why do you make that distinction between Gnostic and choose to use extra canonical um, instead? Well, I like to describe these other gospels as extra canonical, which is a term that I think is, is probably the, the most effective term to use to say apocryphal can, you know, can, can carry the connotation of being less than truthful or less, mm-hmm. you know, serious, you know, not to be taken quite as seriously. 
to say non-canonical would imply, again, it's, it's a, a negative way to put it, extra-canonical, I think, is a more helpful term as describing those books beyond the canon, you know, gospels that were not included in the New Testament. I think that's also a, a very effective way to describe them. I, I don't want to use the word Gnostic because, as you've said, that carries a lot of baggage with it. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of people have particular ideas in mind when they hear the word Gnostic. And I've had the experience of mentioning the Gospel of Thomas in conversation, and someone will say, oh, okay, well, the Gospel of Thomas is Gnostic, and that means that it teaches this, 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 and that. Right. So th th there's already, it's like a, 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 an affiliation with a political party with a platform, you know, just a number of uh, uh, assumptions. And I'm thinking, okay, well, just labeling it Gnostic gives you an idea of what you think it means even before you open the pages and look at it. Yeah. So I, I would just as soon, you know, put aside uh, fuzzy terms that people use with different definitions that can muddle the waters and simply engage with the text in a broader context. Yeah. Yeah. For the longest time, I did not, I stayed steered clear of all of these texts because I went to, uh, when I was in seminary, I mean, they were briefly mentioned, but it was put under the umbrella of Gnostic and Gnostic equals bad. And, right. you know, for reasons A, B, and C, and, you know, they're all written by people who are trying to lead other people astray. So it's like, just stay away from it. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'll be the good Christian boy and uh, not go near those things. But then as I started to rethink my own traditions, my own upbringing, I started to read them on my own. I'm like, oh, it's, I don't know what's so terrible <laughs> about these. So it just definitely opened up my, my mind. But that term Gnostic, even, in, even I have a better understanding of it today but it still has a lot of that baggage attached to it for me too. All right. So what I want to ask you next is a little bit about the, the pushback that we often get with these, with these texts, because I don't know if you've, I'm, I'm assuming you've come across it because you've, you've written so much on it, but I know for me, I get, I mean, I've, I've questioned hell. I've questioned the LGBTQ um, exclusion. I've questioned a lot of things on the podcast, but the, the biggest thing I've gotten pushback with, is in regards to these these texts like i've had even professors from school send me direct messages on facebook and say like you're really dabbling in dangerous territory and you really need to be careful with what you're doing and all these different things why do you think there's so much why is there so much pushback in regard to these texts is it just a like a, a lack of people having engaged with it is this a misunderstanding because of what we've been told by it uh, why do you think there's so much aversion to these things? Well, I think there's uh, more than one layer to it. I think that one dynamic is the politicization of these texts. Mm -hmm. uh, and this goes back to, you know, I was talking about the Gospel of Thomas and the way that Virgil positioned it mm -hmm. and how I think of the text. Um, there's, I think you can, I, th I think it's fair to say this is a little bit of an overgeneralization, but there are two major camps with respect to texts like the Gospel of Thomas. One camp is the conservative camp that will give it a late date, say this is dependent upon the four canonical Gospels, and it doesn't have much to present that's new or better, or mm. it's, it's, it's either reiterating what the Bible already says or just twisting it around a little bit. So the text really doesn't have much uh, to offer us. And then on the other hand, you have a school of thought that says, okay, 
the Gospel of Thomas is early, earlier is better, and it's earlier than these other texts. It's not reliant upon them. And uh, there, in Protestantism, there's uh, a, a tendency to regard earlier as being more authentic, more, more, uh, more historical. And uh, there are scholars who, um, who like to use texts like this to, uh, to criticize uh, the institution of the church. And, uh, you know, and so claims are made that will create like a, an either or uh, approach. You know, so you've got on the one hand, conservatives wanting to defend tradition, and then on the other hand, liberals seeking to undermine tradition. And texts like the Gospel of Thomas then get caught up in, in, in the middle of it and used like a political football. Yeah. Uh, by contrast, uh, going back to this both and approach rather than this either or approach, uh, I, I think once we, once we loosen these texts from these larger ideological uh, tensions, mm -hmm. we may be able to see that, that the, the, the truth is more nuanced, mm -hmm. that we, we can find uh, enlightenment from these other early Christian texts that can help to supplement our understanding and not necessarily uh, necessitate the rejection, the complete, you know, whole rejection of uh, the whole institution of Christianity. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think uh, the, the reality is just much broader than that. Mm. So I think, I think, I think it's possible to be a faithful, you know, Roman Catholic or, you know, uh, Southern Baptist or what have you, and still gain, uh, gain benefit from studying uh, early texts from uh, other Christians and Jews that were not included in the New Testament. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you have to be part of an institutional church, but I think, uh, I think that these texts, you know, again, they just have much to offer, and they don't need to be necessarily tied into uh, ideological uh, conflicts. Yeah, no, that's really good. I had um, Elaine Pagels was on the show last summer, and um, I just talked to Hal uh, Tausig a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about that very thing that you know so many times scholars will approach these texts from a very, very heady kind of a place, and you know just really looking at the the language and the context, all these different things. But for those two individuals, they were talking to me about how these texts have helped make them a better follower of Christ. And I think that, you know, one, one of the things that I was handed in seminary and thing and growing up was if you read these texts, they're going to lead you away from God. They're going to lead you away from Jesus. They're going to lead you away from the truth. And so stay away from them. But as I said before, like, as I've dove into them on my own, I've discovered that they've actually done the opposite. I feel like it's drawn me closer to Christ. Like I have so many books on my shelf, you know, the Gnostic Bible by Barnstone, Gnostic scriptures by Leighton and Bracky, like all these different things. I, I've been spending so much time in them. And I feel like I have so many aha moments about, oh, you know, like I never thought of it that way before, or I read something in like the gospel of Thomas, the gospel of Mary, and I remember something from the gospel of John. And like, then I see all these different parallels that are there as well. So I think a lot of people think there's so many differences. It's going to be a different message than what you find in your Christian faith. But in reality, I think it can enhance enhance it if you will just allow them to do that give them the chance to do that exactly exactly i, I agree with that 100 percent. well said yeah okay maybe, maybe, yeah. I should, maybe i should be interviewing you for this podcast no 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 <laughs> <laughs> not at all not at all 
All right. So what, what texts you mentioned the gospel, of Mary, you've mentioned the gospel of Thomas. Is there, is it one of those texts or maybe another text that has really, which one has given you the most aha moment in your faith? Like which one has really, um, which one's helped make you a better, a better human? <laughs> Excellent question. Uh, and in fact, there are many of these texts that I appreciate some more than others. Mm -hmm. Probably my favorite of these extra canonical gospels is indeed the gospel of Mary. Mm -hmm. I, uh, again, for reasons I mentioned earlier, that uh, it it seems to be a, a, um, a seamless uh, blend, uh, or, or you know, my interaction with the gospel results in a seamless blend of concerns common to feminist uh, theology and uh, the, the discipline of mysticism. Mm -hmm. You know, the the ascent of the soul, uh, you know, over and above these. Uh, tyrannical powers that seek to bind the soul. I find so much meaning in that, that uh, the, the inner demons that, you know, that, that we struggle with, you know, uh, anxiety, anger, addiction, those kinds of things that try to bind us and, and keep us down, uh, that, that those things uh, don't need to, uh, don't need to tyrannize us, that we have allegiance to a, a more, a, a more powerful spiritual reality, you know, mm. that, uh, that we, uh, and, and I think it, we, we, we even consider the Roman imperial context in which the Gospel of Mary was written. I mean, uh, in the Roman world, they didn't even have a democracy. People didn't run for emperor, you know. Mm. Uh, most people weren't even citizens of the empire. Uh, Significantly, these spiritual rulers that we read about in texts like these, not, not only in the Gospel of Mary, but in the letters of Paul and in many other places, these, these rulers, these spiritual authorities are conflated with very earthly, imperial, oppressive authorities. Mm. And uh, the, 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 the struggles that many people endured back in those days and those circumstances were immense you know they didn't have the, the 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 power to go to the polls and vote in a more benevolent roman emperor for example <laughs> you know uh and yet and yet even given all of the challenges that these early followers of jesus had uh nevertheless they they found a spiritual strength to be able to stand up and resist and say no you don't you don't find me you know, so there's something very powerful about that. You know, uh, we read about the the way in which Peter in the Gospel of Mary uh, opposed Mary, wrestled with her, as it were, using the same verb to describe the the, the powers that sought to bind the soul mm -hmm. uh, in, in the central narrative of the text. Uh, Peter engages in Mary in the latter portion of that gospel um, as an adversary. You know, like he had to Jesus when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Mm -hmm. He is engaging Mary in, in that same way. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's, so we see even a church conflict here with uh, a, a male authority saying, no, you're, um, that, uh, how could you know, Jesus you know, talk to you uh, and, and share, uh, share wisdom and truth with you and not with us, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and Mary, like the soul, resists that uh, that imposition. So I think that uh, uh, I think that is a really 
compelling way to understand the conflict between the apostles, between uh, Peter and Andrew on the one hand and Mary and, um, and Levi on the other hand in the gospel, uh, uh, kind of um, paralleling the conflict between the powers and the soul uh, from pages, uh, let's see, that'd be pages uh, 15 through 19. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. And I think that for me, like one of the things that struck me the most about the Gospel of Mary when I was when I first read it is how you see and you, you can correct me if I have the storyline wrong, but you see the disciples not really getting Jesus like they, they seem to be the ones who aren't really grasping, um, you know, the teachings of Jesus, what he's trying to leave them before he leaves. Then you have Mary who steps in and Mary seems to be the one that gets it. And it says, I think very specifically in the text, it's something along the lines of that Mary comforted the disciples when Jesus left. And it almost seemed, seemed to me anyway, that it was almost like Mary was taking the place of Jesus when Jesus left. Would you agree with that assessment? I would agree with that. And in fact, I would even go so far as to say that read against the background of the Gospel of John, Mary actually um, uh is presented in a way like the, like the coming parakeet, the Holy Spirit, mm. you know, in, uh, in, in comforting the disciples and reminding them of all the things that Jesus had said. Yeah, that's really good. The other thing that struck me in that gospel too is when Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says something along the lines of, you're going to have people who tell you that, you know, look for uh, the human one or look for God over there or over here know over 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 in that place in that place but the human one is within you and i think that was such a yes. big that was such a big eye-opener for me and i've talked about it on the on the podcast before but just growing up in the world that i did i was always told that there was nothing good within me you know, everything inside of right. me is human and human is bad it's worldly it's of the flesh and i have to look outside of myself in order to discover the truth and i've always felt there has to be more to it than that. I always felt that was, I just, that just made me feel very uncomfortable. Like I don't really feel like that's true, but it, I have all these Bible verses that say it's true. So it must be true. But then when I read this, I was like, Oh, like there, there is a, a branch of Christianity out there that saw the good inside of, of us as humans. And that just, I don't know, that just, that just unlocks something in me because like this text, it's not like this text was written, you know, a thousand years after, the four gospels was written most likely shortly thereafter. And so you really had these early Christians who were wrestling with this kind of stuff and they saw things very differently than maybe that Orthodox uh, tradition. Well, not only that, but I would also argue that that uh, quote unquote Orthodox tradition that you've described isn't fully reflected even in the new Testament itself. Mm -hmm. You know, there's kind of a, a one-sided uh, approach to that you know, taken and, um, I think some of that is honestly read back into the New Testament, you know, from later uh, church developments and not yeah. necessarily, you know, developed straight from the New Testament itself. Yeah, that's true. That uh, I think it's, I think it's Bart Ehrman that talks about like the proto-Orthodox, like it's like the, right. before Orthodox became a thing, like there were people who were thinking, thinking this way. Um, so let's say somebody's listening and they want to get into this stuff. Um, they want to start reading some of these texts. And I've had, like I said, I've had Elaine Pagels on the show and some other people and who've talked about these things before, but I know of a lot of listeners who are 
they kind of want to jump into this, but they kind of don't know really where to begin. So if you were to speak to one of those people, uh, if they want to start exploring beyond these New Testament texts that we have in our in our Bible, uh, where should they where should they begin? How should they start going about reading it? Should they read chunks of it at a time? Should they read it with some you know commentary on the side with it? What's your recommendation for for getting started? Well, at the cost of sounding uh, uh, self-serving, uh, this is your place my, to plug. Plug it. My, my, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I wrote these books, these paperbacks about the Gospels, and they're also available in Kindle as well. But I, yeah, I wrote these books specifically for uh, people who aren't familiar with them. You know, uh, these these books on the extra-canonical Gospels that I've written are not written for scholars, mm-hmm. although um, I put information in the footnotes and tried to articulate uh, what I was describing in a way that would be academically or scholarly responsible mm-hmm. so that you know, um, uh, uh, hopefully scholars will be able to read through some of these and feel that I'm at least, uh, uh, I'm at least uh, accurately portraying you know, uh, you know, the, the history of these texts. But, uh, but I'm trying to bridge a gap and trying to you know, bring together you know, the, the ivory tower and the pew, so to speak, you know, uh, writing for the broadest possible audience of people who may or may not be biblical scholars, um, presenting uh, easy to read uh, translations that, uh, that are easier to engage with, with some uh, context and background and a little bit of commentary to help the, the average reader engage with this text irrespective of their background, whether or not they're churchgoers, whether, whether or not they're Christians, mm-hmm. you know, so that people can, can engage with these texts. Uh, and, and I'm really trying to make these texts accessible. That's why I've, pub- I've published the public domain translations of these texts on my website, gospels.net, and have, uh, have given blanket permission you know, on that site for people to use these texts uh, in their own books, in their own commentaries, mm. uh, in their own uh, works, you know, so that so that they are accessible. Now, I realize that trying to to bridge that gap, you know, I'm likely going to incur the criticism that it's neither uh, accurate nor scholarly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, see you later. Yeah, that's right. What are you going to do? <laughs> so last question, I want to ask you just a little bit about um, Luminescence, because that's the title of your website, correct? Lumines- Luminescence LLC? That's right, yes. Yeah, so maybe you could talk a little bit, because I'm going to put that in the show notes for people to go and visit, but if you could talk to us a little bit about uh, that and what it means and um, what people can expect to find there now and as it continues to grow. Certainly. Well, so, you know, the, the last few years have not been easy. You know, um, last year um, was you know, the hardest year of my life. I lost my father to COVID last January. Mm. And we lost uh, our son to suicide in August. Mm. And uh, then my wife sort of having more serious medical problems uh, earlier this year when I was spending you know, half my time in a hospital room with a laptop computer trying to work full time, I, it was apparent that something had to give. Yeah. You know, this March I turned 55 
I consulted with a financial advisor and said, now is the time. I, I, I formally uh, retired. I left the corporate job that I had. And that's when I um, went ahead and uh, set up my uh, limited liability corporation to better organize what up until you know, that point had been my avocation or my hobby, if you will, mm. uh, translating and writing uh, on, and studying theology on the side. But now this is something I can I can put more at the forefront of my uh, attention. So uh, setting up the website to kind of centralize uh, the, the projects that I've been working on through the years and to make available you know, these resources and to highlight them, uh, that's really um, what I'm focused on with Luminescence LLC. Um, and as, as far as the name is concerned, mm -hmm. I wanted something that was broad enough to, uh, to, to encompass you know, all of the types of uh, you know, activity uh, that I'm engaged in in this endeavor, you know, in this ministry. And honestly, I like alliteration. So Luminescence LLC uh, <laughs> has a lot of it works. Uh, alliteration. Yes. Now, uh, so with respect to, you know, uh, to this ministry and these books. Um, I've, to date, I've sold over 22,000 copies wow. uh, through Amazon, both uh, Kindle and paperback and through, um, through the expanded distribution channel of bookstores and libraries. And hopefully you know, with, this, uh, with this focus in luminescence, I can promote them even more. So one when uh, invitation I would extend to your listeners is that if you appreciate this work that I'm doing, and if you want to uh, help supplement uh, my retirement income and our medical bills, please feel free to purchase my books. <laughs> and if you like them, leave positive uh, reviews and uh, tell your friends about them too. So uh, it's just a win-win situation all the way around. Yeah. And where's the best place? Like, where does it benefit you the most for people to buy those books from? Like if they buy them from Amazon, does that benefit you at all? Or can they buy it from somewhere else? Uh, actually, I don't. I don't really care as much where people buy them from. Okay. If you do order it through a bookstore or something, I, I get the lowest royalty. But uh, wherever you buy them, it's good. You know, uh, uh, it, it's all good. So. Okay. And for our listeners too, I mean, they're not they're not expensive books, right? I mean, uh, the I have the Gospel of Mary from me. I think it was five ninety nine on on amazon so you could literally buy if you're interested in like i want to read more about the gospel of mary gospel of thomas and gospel of judas you could buy all three of them for under twenty dollars and you can start your your journey exactly and that's why i i priced those uh so low and the kindle uh, editions are even less than that mm -hmm. so you know because uh, many of these texts you'd spend a lot of money for them you know otherwise and i want to make when i, when I say i want to make them accessible I want them to be accessible in terms of the, the, the reading level, but I also want them to be uh, uh, to be financially accessible as well. Yeah. And so I, I've intentionally priced them you know, as low as I can and still you know, earn a little bit of a royalty in order to make them more easily uh, accessible. And that's also why I've put the public domain versions out free of charge. So if you want to read these gospels and you don't want to read my commentary, you know, <laughs> then you can go to my website and read it for free. Just, just That's the gospel right. itself, you know. That's right. But uh, if you if you want to dig into it a little more, by all means, you'll purchase the paperback. Go through my footnotes and endnotes to see uh, what my sources are, and go study those sources as well. I mean, it's just 
there's a vast amount of, of literature out there and there's a ton of information out there, you know, and what I'm presenting is just, you know, the, the, the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And I just really want to pay you a, a compliment because I think that the, the work you're doing is so important because I, I try to read as much as I can on this stuff, especially before I have somebody on the show who's going to talk about it. And a lot of the stuff that's out there is more scholarly and it's more um, kind of above, I think, a level of an average person would would be. I think even, you know, like um, some of the Bart Ehrman texts out there and uh, David Brackey, like these are people who are, they're scholars, like they've been, they've been in this world for a long time. And so they might present stuff that for somebody who's dabbled in this stuff for a while might grasp, but somebody who's really new to it might not be able to grasp at all. And so they might just read a few pages and be done. But your stuff, you, you're really doing a good job of bridging that gap between the everyday person and the more scholarly world, and also showing how it can apply and enhance somebody's life and somebody's faith today. And that's not something that you find um, every day in a, in a lot of the reading that's out there. So uh, props to you and thank you for doing the work you're doing. You strike me as like a, as an everyday kind of person who's, who's doing this work. And I think that's, that's what makes it so relatable. So thank you. Thank you. It's exactly, exactly what I've tried to do. And so it's very uh, encouraging and uh, I'm very gratified, uh, you know, for your, your evaluation. I really appreciate it and really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much. And uh, that brings us to about the end of our time. So we're just about, we're just about there, but thank you so much for taking the time to join me and maybe we can uh, do this again sometime. Sounds good. Thanks. Excellent. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. It gonna get started, we can do what we wanna wake up. Wake up, wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Got myself to see the big picture. You not alone, I'm right there with ya. Trust me, get up. Guess I gotta be more stricter. Keep my head up, getting more slicker. I know, yeah. Gotta move my feet, put in the motion. I know that every door I walk up to is bound to open. Wish it all could be so easy, I insert a token. Hit that thing on both sides, if the size is broken. Move on, oven cooking, I be on the slope. Grind anything I put my mind up to, I bound to be mine. Best to get it by my way. Follow suit and follow the line. Hope you got it, hope you get it. Go and check the guidelines, yo. Yeah. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. It's gonna get started, we can do what we wanna wake up. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. So I can see the sunrise Beauty all in the sky So really wipe all my cries Haven't felt this in a while Man, I can't even lie Living one day at a time Man, I'm just getting by Job is stressing me with all the nonsense Can't stop it Quitting, then I'm on my own terms Make a profit Making sure I'm counting every penny in my pocket Chessing ain't no checkers on my moves That's a promise just keep it real, bro, that's all that I know. Waking up at crack of dawn, time not getting slow. Keep it moving, I'ma do the same, need for growth. Before I blossom, gotta pack up all my seeds on the low. Let's go. Yeah, keep it moving, I'ma do the same, need for growth. Yeah. Before I blossom, gotta pack up all my seeds on the low. Let's go. 
wake up, get your morning started, drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind.